Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory, the mailbag edition, following the Chiefs beating the Lions in comeback fashion uh, this last week. My name's Ken Swanson. I am joined by my dear pals. First, find him on Twitter at Chiefy Carolina. In Carolina, Maddie Lane. What's up, my friend? I'm doing good. We, we've been over here just kind of buying our time for the past hour. So we are recording this uh, podcast at like 3 a.m. my time, it feels like, just uh, <laughs> because uh, these guys want to drink coffee and just uh, just talk. And by these guys, I mean our dear friend Craig Stout, the handsomest of the bunch, is also here with us. How are you doing, Barley Hop? I'm doing great. I would like everybody to know that, yes, I was drinking coffee. I'm, I'm going to be wired. This is The coffee is the fuel that gives you this podcast, that gives you all of these film reviews. So, Maddie's uh. talking down on coffee right now, but that, that, that's literally what gets you the content that gets you through parts of your day, if you read. Craig, you're really. very well aware that I love my coffee. We had yes. many of coffee dates when we were in Mobile <laughs> while Kent and Jake <laughs> slept until mid-afternoon. Sleep. It's we not, are, you're not wrong. We are definitely having second breakfast with these guys this next year. So yeah, yeah. and you're not you're not you're not too upset because there's a there's a pancake place in Mobile. Oh my god, yeah, called the Ruby Slipper, mm-hmm. and it is exceptional. It's it's not my fault that you two got up at five a.m. Speaking of five, <laughs> if you want to leave a five star review for us. Please feel free to on whatever platform you guys can do that on. Uh, it's a good thing. SB Nation likes it when we have uh, five-star reviews. So if you like the show, if you like what we're doing, please feel free to do that. All right. This is the Mailbag Edition. We are going to take all of your questions, well, as many questions as we can. Uh, we try to get through as many as we can. A lot of them are similar, so we have to you know, try to weed some out at times. But thank you guys so much for all your all your questions. We like that you guys are helping us kind of drive this show. I think that's a fun thing for us too. So, and there's some really fun questions uh, in this in this mailbag this week. We're gonna start with the Gmail uh, Gmail account. Email us at apnerdsquad at gmail.com. Uh, we'll try to answer those questions as well. Dion asks the question: Patrick Levon Mahomes was human today, but still managed to pull this game out the game-winning drive, was he just bad by Patrick LeVon Mahomes standards or did the D force him into bad spots? Maddie, I know you are kind of diving in a little bit of this right before we got on, so I thought you before could just go ahead and Before we one. get too far deep into this, did our friend Dion abbreviate Patrick Mahomes PLM or was that a Kent Swanson special? Because no, Dion did that. 
right, Dion. It's PM2. We can't, the PLM just doesn't look right. I know Kent likes and pronounce Patrick LeVon Mons, and I'm okay with that. But PLM is not like a very good looking initials for a player to put out there. I, just, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's like something bad or no, if you're just being very bad. critical of no, someone just, that took the time to email us their question. <laughs> I think, Dion, I'm just offering some advice that PLM is just not the most attractive abbreviation of initials out there. I, I like the PM2 with two eyes much better. I think most would agree. Thanks for listening, Dion. I thank you for listening, Dion. <laughs> This we is a great you. question because we were just going through this. We were kind of talking. This is part of our four-hour discussion before the podcast started was exactly just why were the Chiefs offense looking super comfortable, specifically Patrick Mahomes. I think people are seeing him get a little bit more frustrated than he has in years past or the last year and the game before that. And you can see it out there. I think this game just wasn't a good game by his own standards. I mean, let's be real. The Chiefs still scored a ton of points on the road against a quality defense and which Patrick Mahomes still threw over 300 yards. He played very surgical when he had to. He was making the right kind of plays. He was tucking the ball to run it when nothing was open. I do think the Lions did a good job messing with him, forcing him to scramble earlier than he wanted to. Chiefs offensive line wasn't particularly good. The Chiefs wide receivers were not good against the Lions. Depleted secondary with the physical coverage. They were just kind of, they had the Chiefs number. They Their game plan was better than the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes was good enough to still go beat that without it being the best game we've seen from him. Yeah, he definitely missed a couple of guys, but yeah, Matt's spot on here. The wide receivers did not get the kind of separation that you would expect against a depleted secondary. Justin Coleman played out of his mind this week. We mentioned him in the preview pod as... You know, a guy that had had a pretty good year so far and that if they were missing Slay, he might follow Sammy Watkins around. Guess what, guys? He did, and he made a huge impact in this game. I think that maybe their guys were just a little more up for this one and had a better game plan that Patrick Mahomes had to kind of sort through on an off day for him. Yeah, I think everything was just a tickoff. So disruption at the line of scrimmage and inability to get in and out of your breaks – I think the the pass protection was not optimal and Patrick Mahomes basically he had no success surprisingly on deeper throws he missed all of them uh so it was just a, it was a very inconsistent day with elements of Patrick Mahomes game and then also just you know slight inconsistencies across the board that led to this but that's okay they still scored 27 points on offense and that's with three fumbles Hmm. Uh, it wasn't even at the hands of, of Pat, you know, throwing the ball and inter- throwing interceptions or anything. It was just, you know, some mistakes in special teams, uh, mistakes, you know, with the ball carriers on offense. Okay, we got a couple five star review questions. We're gonna answer here. I still love you, Dion. Uh, the- <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Dion. I I'm so sorry for for Maddie being Maddie. Uh, Tim Timme one twenty six asks the Chiefs next five games. Which is the same number of stars I gave this review. Great job, Tim. Uh, Lost this week. So the next five opponents apparently lost this week. How confident are you that the Chiefs are going to beat the Colts or beat all five of them? I'm sorry. Here's the five. The Colts, the Texans, at Denver, Green Bay, and then Minnesota. So four home games. Craig, how confident are you feeling these next five? I'm I'm pretty confident still. Uh, The Colts' defense is very depleted. Uh, They could run the ball. Texans... 
may pose a little bit more of a challenge than maybe I was thinking they would as this year went along, but they still don't have an offensive line. Denver is terrible. Green Bay actually has a very good defense, so I think that's probably the best team, the best matchup left on that. And then Minnesota might try and run the ball 43,000 times against the Chiefs' defense. So that that might be a tough one. I still think that the Chiefs should win all of those. I do believe that they are going to come out and they'll at least be 4-1 and one in that span. I'm with Craig. I think the Packers game is definitely the one that just about every football fan circled for a kind of game to see, a game to watch. If the Colts still had Andrew Luck, that would be a one to watch. The Texans, they're they're a good team. They're not a bad team. They're a solid team, but I'm not sure they're kind of ready to take the Chiefs to the limit. I don't think they play the same kind of game like the Lions do that are just going to drag it out and make it look close and things like that. So I feel very, very confident in four of the five games. Four and one, I think, is the most likely scenario, whether it's a slip up or that Green Bay game. But I mean, we'll see how they're playing when they get going. We're going to start. The Chiefs are about to start getting a lot of guys healthy. If everybody comes back during this stretch, Morris Claiborne, Tyreek Hill, Eric Fisher all come back by the time you get to Green Bay, that sets it up mm-hmm. real nice for a five and no run through these. And I would be kind of surprised if Tyreek Hill and maybe even Eric Fisher aren't back for that Green Bay game. Four, four of the five next games are at home, which I think is very important for this stretch. I'm a little bit worried about Minnesota because this chief, this defense has had a hard time stopping the run. Uh, but try, try to make Kirk Cousins be Kent is scared of Kirk big. Cousins. Put yeah, it on the record. Uh, Green Bay is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a really fun game. That game is on Sunday Night Football. I have a feeling the, the place is going to be insane. I bet you the Chiefs play that game in all red uh mm. i i'm having a hard time and honestly that might be the first week that patrick peterson's a chief well speaking of that low-key if you thought that kenny galladay was wrecking the chiefs cornerbacks at the catch point you're about to get deandre hopkins Cortland sutton and then adam Thielen and stefan diggs in this five game stretch so uh there's something so, to look forward to. and Devonte adams is he live? Oh, I didn't know of, if his uh, foot fell off or not after the way everybody oh, freaked out right. from that football yeah. game. His foot we'll did fall off. We'll see. Okay. Uh, Mouse 187 asks, fellas, it was a wild one on Sunday, but it f- did it feel good to be worried again during a game? Kind of, actually. It, it, I don't like it, but what I did like was how calm, cool, and collected Patrick Mahomes was in delivering that game and finishing that game. Sneakily, Mahomes really hasn't slipped up in these late-game situations. The only game he's really been bad in his career has been the Rams game. And even then, I think you could explain away some of it. But, I mean, he's he's answered the bell every single time in his career outside of that game. Even against the Patriots both times. Game-winning, or a, 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 lead, a, a score to take the lead against the Patriots with, you know, three minutes left the first time. Two minutes left the second time. Then he had 32 seconds to tie the game in the AFC Championship game, and he did it. You know, the 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 Broncos game, the Ravens game. He's done it, like, every time. It felt good, but, like, it was just a good reminder that, like, this dude is, is not human. The Patriots games, the Ravens game, the Rams game, fun. 
good football was played. This game was gross. It was disgusting from start <laughs> to finish. There's 800 fumbles in one corner. I'm full of hyperbole today, apparently. I think it's, it's so late here. I'm very tired. I apologize for that. But it was just a gross game. I The Lions did exactly what they wanted to do. They made this an ugly, gritty, physical game. They drew the Chiefs into this very sloppy game that looks like it should be played in the AFC North, just outside in the middle of December, not in the dome in September. But that's what they wanted to do. The Chiefs kind of fell into that trap. I did not enjoy the stress that came with watching the Chiefs play that kind of game. I would much prefer to see the high-flying shootouts, no matter who's accomplishing the stats for the Chiefs. Just I like better football than I liked watching that. I chart the defense. I hate games like this. I want <laughs> I want my defense to be in a dime prevent shell for like the last seven minutes of the game if I can get away with it. I hate games like this. Maybe they'll sweating. play maybe the corners will make a play on the ball then. Maybe that'll help. No, Sorry. No, probably not. Probably Hold not. Hold your breath. Hold your yeah. breath on that one. <laughs> but no, I, I I did not enjoy the worry that comes with this. I I had a sports headache after this one, man. I, I was not good with this. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to answer some of the Twitter questions now. We've got a lot of them. We're going to try to get through as many as we can. Lolit McGee asks a really fun one. If someone told you five years ago that one day Chiefs fans will be celebrating after an opponent takes the lead late in the fourth quarter because they left too much time on the clock, what would you have told them? Uh, I, I wouldn't have believed it. And frankly, outside of that last little little moment, because they left too much time on the time, too much time left on the clock. I would have been okay. So they're the last. They're they're playing for the last pick in the or the first pick in the draft. They're tanking. So you're celebrating them scoring late in the fourth. But no, I it's it. This Kansas City has been spoiled rotten. They went from nothing to potentially the greatest quarterback of all time. So enjoy it while you have it, and uh, hopefully it, it brings many rings to Kansas City. Five years ago, I probably would have said, huh, I guess Tyler Bray's going to work out. Because I'm not sure who, what other quarterback would have been pulling that off for the Chiefs to make me feel that confident. Aaron Murray. I, no, never was, never will be. So very similar to a Georgia quarterback getting ready to come out of the draft. But we'll save that for a later date. But yeah, I think Patrick Mahomes does instill that kind of confidence. I think it's been absolutely a wonderful ride that the Chiefs were able to get him. They made the move up to get their guy. This is fantastic for all these Chiefs fans that have waited forever or, like me, haven't really seen a top-notch quarterback play for the Kansas City Chiefs in their lifetime. This is everything that we kind of needed and deserved, I think, as a football franchise. It does make a huge difference going from being a competent playoff team like they were with Alex Smith to being the kind of team that they are right now with Patrick Mahomes. That's the happiest that I've ever been that Charverius Ward gave up a catch. The absolute happiest. <laughs> I did not want them to run any That's more time off the clock. I was afraid they were going to try and milk it down and punch it in with like 20 seconds left. So when they scored and there was that much time left on the clock, I honestly, I, I was comfortable. I thought that Mahomes was going to go down the field, at least tie the game up, if not score. So yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling to have, but it's kind of awesome. And it always feels good to still get a win after playing bad. Because mm-hmm. you still have that gut-wrenching feeling like you need to get better, but you still haven't given up any ground in home field advantage. Andrew Richard Six asks, how soon does Morris Claiborne get fully inserted into the defense, Craig? 
I think it's going to be two weeks at least. I, I do think that he's got to get back into the football swing of things. He's not been able to get integrated into the team. He showed up to camp late. So he doesn't have the same sort of reps that some of these other guys have. And then he hasn't been able to be with the team for the past four weeks, do film study, be in there, you know, be on the field and hitting people that he just hasn't done a lot of it yet. This off season, he is a vet. I'm not worried about him getting up to speed, but I don't know that they will just rush him in there. They seem more comfortable with Charvarius Ward than, most of the rest of us do so I do think that they'll probably just try and ease him in over the next couple weeks yeah I think you're going to start seeing his snap count kind of slowly start to increase he's probably not ready to be out there every single snap already going into next week you then come up against DeAndre Hopkins a relatively potent Houston Texans attack but at the same time you might not want to throw him right in there to that, even if you need his help. It's kind of after that where I'm looking for him to really start taking a lot of those reps, hopefully from Traverius Ward, but it's not as if Kendall Fuller doesn't or has deserved all of the snaps either. So we need him to get out on the field sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm, I can't wait to see what a pairing of Mo Claiborne, Bashad Breeland, and Patrick Peterson looks like. And I'm just fully just, I'm just, I'm riding this train out. And they, Steve Kime has flat out said no, but Steve Kime's not going to have a job in like two weeks. And I'm so. on to Chris Harris now. We'll just trade within the division, get Chris Harris. We're yeah, good. Yeah, dude, there's no way Horseface John Elway is going to do that. Like, let's just be honest. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Muir asked probably my favorite question I uh, hate of this, this week. <laughs> what's your prediction of course maddie hates the question because someone was nice enough to to engage with the show jeff muir asks <laughs> what's your prediction for who will be more productive on sunday frank clark or justin houston just drop a nuke into the middle of this episode here we go maddie the amount of iterations of this question I have been asked since the Chiefs have traded for Frank Clark is through the roof. Now, at least it is relevant to this week now. So productive, if we're just going to go based purely on pressures and sacks, I might actually say Justin Houston. I think a motivated Justin Houston is still a good football player. If you're going to get Justin Houston motivated, you either need Justin Hamilton or you need him to play his ex-team that didn't want to keep him around. I think Houston will be out there. I think the Colts will be smart enough to put Houston over Cam Irving rep after rep. <laughs> I think it will be an issue for the Chiefs. They will have to counter it. That said, I think Frank Clark, he seems motivated as well. He is not happy with his performance so far this year, as he probably shouldn't be after the Lions game. I definitely think it was his worst game of the year. So he's motivated as well. I think he's going to be out to have a good performance. You factor in everything that he's asked to do, the amount of extra attention he puts up with his ability against the run, so on and so forth. I'm not willing to say Justin Houston will be better, but if you're just going to go pure numbers based on pressures and sacks, I might lean towards Houston for this one. I will lean towards Houston as well. Anthony Constanzo is a good left tackle. And that's who Frank Clark is going to be going up against. They may move him over to Braden Smith, who he'll probably have a little more success against, but there might be some tight end help over there to help chip against Frank Clark against the Colts. I do think that Justin Houston is going to line up against Cam Irving all day, and that's just a bad, bad matchup for Cam. So we'll see here. I do believe Houston's going to have a little bit more impact. To Matt's point there, I've seen a lot of Frank Clark's just here trying to collect a paycheck sort of stuff. 
if you guys haven't seen I, it, I've seen a lot of it. Ugh. If you guys haven't seen Frank Clark's tweet, the man is very dissatisfied with his play. He's putting it out there into the world saying, no, I, I recognize I'm not paid to get tackles. I'm not paid to occupy doubles. I am paid to get sacks. Those are his exact words. So he's not sitting back here going, oh, I've got all this attention on me. Clearly, I'm doing something right. He still wants to impact the game. We agree he needs to impact the game more than he is. This was his worst game. We'll see if maybe he is a little more up for this Colts game. On Sunday Night Football, he might he might come out there under the lights and try and put on a show. I don't think it's never an effort issue for Frank Clark like it might have been for his counterpart in this question at times. Uh, I'm going with Frank Clark. Why not? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, it's being contrarian or being Homer-ish or what. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a heater here. Frank Clark goes off, has a really big game under the lights. Maybe people will stop being so hard on a guy that is getting double teamed and chipped and run away from at all costs. So whatever. I'm I'm okay. Mark A. Hunsaker asks, while I suspect it was a little bit of both, does the film tell more of a story that Detroit was the best opponent the Chiefs have faced or more of a story that the Chiefs played their worst game? I still think the Baltimore Ravens were the best team the Chiefs have played so far. I think the difference between that being the home opener for the Chiefs, this being kind of a huge game for the Lions in the Dome at home, playing this Chiefs team coming in with all the hype, it seemed like the Lions wanted the game a little bit more than the Chiefs did, especially to start. And the Lions were able to execute their game plan better. Like The Lions played better against the Chiefs than the Baltimore Ravens did 100%. I just think in terms of full team talent, even including coaching, I think the Ravens are a little bit better. The Lions were just able to suck the Chiefs in like they have to every opponent they've played so far into that sluggish kind of game where Matt Patricia is probably having the time of his life just having this gritty trench warfare game going on with that pencil behind his ear. And he got the Chiefs to play it for as long as possible. The Chiefs weren't able to execute in space or with their speed advantage. And that's exactly what the Lions wanted. I think they just happened to have the perfect game plan and pulled it off. I agree. I agree. The Chiefs defense was a lot better against Baltimore, in my opinion. They got more pressure. They forced Lamar Jackson to make more mistakes. They just didn't finish a lot of those mistakes. Against Detroit, it didn't seem like those mistakes were necessarily left on the field. Yes, there was a fumble recovery that went 100 yards for a touchdown. That was a little bit fluky. Uh, Matthew Stafford dropped a ball while he was being tackled by Derek Nottie. couple fluky things there. I do. I, I would prefer the type of game that we saw out of the defense against the Ravens, definitely the type of game that we saw out of the offense against the Ravens. So I do think that it was just kind of a lack of execution and trying to beat a tough opponent this week rather than it was them being the best team that we've seen. The Chiefs, specifically on offense, got punched in the mouth a little bit, literally got punched with the football uh the receivers got challenged big time this week and so did the offensive line to be honest but you know the the chiefs often or the chiefs receivers got challenged at the line of scrimmage they got challenged with man coverage and then they got challenged when the ball was in their hands and they didn't really have a lot of success because they fumbled the football a lot uh daryl williams also fumbled the football um there was oh, so, there was, sorry, uh, sorry, I 
something was not working here. Uh, I I know we're just gonna continue like that didn't happen. <laughs> I just I didn't like I just didn't like what I saw from the receivers, and I thought that was pretty. I was I was I was not a good that was not a good week for them. They need they need to kind of rise to the challenge this week. Okay, the main event two K asks: Will the Chiefs will this Chiefs defense be able to stop the run against the Patriots when it matters? Starting to get concerned. I I got to take this two ways. Uh, the first answer is no. The Chiefs are awful against the run you guys they, they really are bad against the run the interior defensive linemen are not handling their responsibilities Alex Okafor has been poor you know teams have been running away from Frank Clark and they've been running at Alex Okafor and he's been bad but the second part of this I don't think that the Patriots running the ball was the reason why the Chiefs lost the AFC championship game yes the Patriots ran it 48 times for 3.7 yards a rush this wasn't a situation where the Patriots came out against a historically bad yards per carry defense in the Chiefs defense last year and just rattled off giant chunks of yardage over and over. Yeah, they rushed for 176 yards, but the crucial plays of that game came in the passing game. Tom Brady threw 46 times, 348 yards, and all the big plays at the end of the play- game there trying to keep Mahomes at arm le- arm's length were all passes there those three third and tens if the Chiefs can stop the pass I am not worried about a team running 48 times for 176 yards if it's only 176 yards I'm okay with that I'm not (laughs) sure it's only going to be 176 (laughs) yards at this point in time the Chiefs run defense is concerning to me we saw last week and granted the Ravens with Lamar Jackson are a special brand of challenging but the Chiefs were beat outside repeatedly by kind of speed runs this week the lions were killing the chiefs up the middle they ran a lot of outside zone but they were able to hit the inside lane they were able to cut it upfield right behind the defensive tackles that were just getting and linebackers getting washed down the play over and over again back-to-back weeks where you lose against the run in two different ways very much concerned me i uh i okay so I'm not trying to get too confident here. I am not sure we're going to be scared of Tom Brady in January. And I say this knowing the ramifications of saying this. He's 42 years old. He is taking and accumulating hits as we speak. It's not a guarantee that you're going to see a Tom Brady that is going to be able to beat the Chiefs. And I'm not sure you don't want to challenge Tom Brady to beat you in January. I want it to be Mahomes versus Brady, if I'm being honest. So if they have to if they have to try to make that happen, I, I'm okay with that. And expending resources to stop the run and making Tom Brady beat you might be how the Chiefs ultimately win that football game in January when it happens. I, I know I that sounds say, crazy. I don't trust the current crop of cornerbacks to do anything against Tom Brady. So I understand yeah. cuz I don't think it's I, I don't think it's Brady I, versus Mahomes it's Brady finding the wide open guy because we can't cover him versus Mahomes. Yeah. Absolutely. Now if I, if it's if it's as simple as coverage breakdowns I understand. Yeah. But I I'm just telling you I'm not as scared. Tom Tom didn't take over that game and 
make all these phenomenal plays. He made a few plays when it mattered. And if the Chiefs can get into a situation where they're forcing Tom to make a bunch of plays, they're going to win that football game. Just saying. Yeah. Okay, so I, I've got a stat here that you guys don't know anything about. Uh, we're through four games now, and it's something that we've kind of discussed, but not really fully fleshed out. The run defense is historically bad. We're talking 5.9 yards per carry that they're giving up. They're just getting chewed up. So I wanted to look at a couple things. The things that I looked at, the first drive of the game and the first drive out of the second half of the game for the defense. In just those two drives, the Chiefs have given up 51% of their rushing yards. For all games? For all games. Wow. Every single game. So that's eight drives. They've given up 51% of the rushing yards. Eight drives out of 42. Wow. They have given it up at a clip of 7.24 yards per carry to start the game and right out of the half. Guys, after that, Steve Spagnuolo is making adjustments. They get down to 4.5 yards per carry. That's, hey, that's that would huge. be good for 17th in the league, right there in the middle of the pack. It's that first drive of the game and the third drive of the game. We've talked a little bit about this, that Spagnolo stays a little bit vanilla coming out of the half and coming into the game and then makes adjustments. He's like the anti-Bob Sutton. He doesn't necessarily right. come in with a super defined game plan. He makes tweaks and makes adjustments based on what the team is doing that week. And you kind of see that at least against the run. Now, execution has everything to do with that. He, he's still putting guys in decent spots to succeed, but they they are being victimized on those two drives every single game. And the average, and we've talked a lot about this, but it does. I mean, the, the Chiefs. It's always felt just observing the game, and I haven't been charting it like you have, but it just always has felt like the Chiefs' production or lack of production. I would say has come in spurts. Like it feels like they've been able to get off the field at times and they've been sound enough to get teams behind the sticks for stretches, but just maybe not consistent. And I feel like, I mean, that's basically Matt Craig, that stat is that, that stat is basically confirming some of the things I've been seeing with my eyes. Yeah, I would agree with that. I do wonder, and the averages speak for themselves there too. So obviously teams are having more success running the ball in terms of how many yards they're getting per play during those drives. But I would say the first drive of a game, the first drive coming out of halftime is also the most likely time where you're going to try to pound the ball. Like that makes the most sense mm -hmm. to come out just with the concept of running the football. So the total yardage doesn't surprise me. The fact that the, the average does drop so much is kind of a thing. I guess like my concern is still four and a half yards per carry feels like it's a, it's not like a team's getting one yard and then 10 yards to get there. It feels like it's four and a half every single carry. So you yeah. still can't yeah. stop a team that way. Like it doesn't feel like the deviation is sure. very high for the Chiefs. For sure. The, the stops and the negative plays are few and far between. It, it is still consistent yardage with that. It's just a little bit shocking. And to your point, that's 39% of the rushes on the season have happened in those. So, I mean, they're definitely rushing a lot in those first two drives there. It just surprised me to see such a, such a giant fall off in the other, let's say, you know, 10 drives, 8 to 10 drives right. a game that that occurs in. All right. MJL Emo asks, 
is it more likely for Byron Pringle to get a potato chip commercial or the cornerbacks to become good at knowing when to turn their heads? I mean, at this point, I think it's I think it's Byron Pringle here for Pringles. I mean, like I think that's what I think that's where we're trending right now. Yeah, it's Byron. It's one hundred percent Byron. These these corners couldn't <laughs> turn their heads around if they had to. Look, as long as Byron's still getting this one target a week, he's making more plays in the football than any cornerback not named Bashad Breland. Now, would they turn their head if a can of Pringles was coming at them? Breland's mm. question. Breland. Wow. I, I could do with Breland Speaks on this defensive line rotation right now. Just saying. Yeah, no kidding. All right, we're going to be back with more questions from Twitter right after this. All right, more questions from Twitter here. We're going to try to get through as many as we possibly can. Clayton, Clayton Nicholas asks, Chris Sims said something interesting today that I was interested in your take on. Given the Chiefs D doesn't have the talent to shut down the pass, why not go all out on stopping the run with Frank Clark, Derek Nottie, Xavier Williams, and Chris Jones as the defensive line and let the chips fall where they may? I'm still thinking about the chips from the previous segment. <laughs> uh, let the Pringles fall where they may, Craig. I I like the idea of putting Jones on the outside there. He's getting a little bit washed, especially next to Clark. Clark will set a nice hard edge, and Jones will get a little bit blown out of that gap. Oh, my gosh, yes. But uh, but Derek Naughty and Xavier Williams, guys, have not been good. I know we were kind of hoping that they would take that next step this year. So far, Naughty and Williams have also not been good on the interior. Matt alluded to it. A lot of those cutback lanes, you expect a nose guard to be there, you know, to have that sort of gap discipline. Those guys aren't there. Xavier Williams not is not really able to hold down his gap very well either, and you got guys climbing to the linebackers, and it's just kind of all bad there in the middle, and a lot of that comes from Nadia and Williams. So I don't know that that really is a major, major improvement in the defensive line. I'm with you. I'm not sure that that makes a huge difference. I don't think, I think Chris Jones has been an excellent football player this year, probably been the best player for the Chiefs Mm -hmm. defense. I still don't think Chris Jones is a consistent down in, down out good player against the run. He makes very flashy plays. I think he's also very willing to get out of his gap. He's willing to try to go behind the offensive guard to get behind into the backfield rather than playing through the offensive guard. He can get pushed off the line of scrimmage. He has been directly responsible for a few of these big cutback lanes that we've seen the past two weeks against the Chiefs defense. Now, put him out of defensive end like this being suggested by Chris Sims. I get it. I understand the concept. I still don't know if the Chiefs have the talent to stop the run, even with that defensive line plus the linebacker play that we've seen so far. So I think you're just going to kind of limit the best pass rushing lineup you have to maybe get a tad better against the run, but it's still, I think, going to result in the same thing and a lack of speed across the defensive front seven. Yeah, I can think of one play off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure Chris Jones was out of his gap in the run game, and it wound up for a big play just this week. Uh I understand what I understand the, the concept. I tend to agree. I don't know if it solves all their problems because the the linebacking core has it's still got a ways to go. They're not fast to the football. Um, it still seems like they're a tick off, but we'll see if they can continue to get better. 
Uh, Rise of Mahomes asks, do you guys feel the cornerback play will be much better when Morris Claiborne gets involved, and will it also improve the safety play? I think the safety play hasn't – I don't think the safety play can be improved upon by better cornerback play necessarily. I think Juan Thornhill's going through rookie growing pains, so he's making some very good plays. He's also making some relatively poor plays. He's getting lost in his zones, passing guys off. He's making rookie mistakes. I don't know if putting Morris Claiborne out there is going to fix his mistakes. I don't think Morris Claiborne is going to necessarily help Tyron Matthew play better, who I think has been playing very good. It's starting to pick up as the year gets going. As far as if the CB play will get a lot better, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think it can be worse. I do think it will get better. I just don't know if it's going to be substantially better, if you'll be able to take, make a big notice. I don't know if Claiborne's going to be good enough that he won't get targeted four straight times, giving up a you know pass interference or a catch on three out of those four plays like we've kind of seen with the Chiefs' corners this year. I hope he is, and I don't think he's going to be that bad, but I also don't know if he's going to really move the needle for the group. Yeah, the group overall gets marginally better with Mo Claiborne. I'm not like, slam dunk, this is all better now. We sit Charvarius Ward, and now Kendall Fuller all of a sudden gets good. You know, that's not going to happen. I, I still think they need another guy with Mo Claiborne. And yeah, I'm with Matty. The safety play has been largely fine. Juan Thornhill struggling a little bit. That first touchdown to TJ Hawkinson was 100% on Juan Thornhill. He passed him off to Bashad Breland, who was already in a deep zone against another (laughs) receiver. Like he, he was just like, all right, Bashad here have two guys, you know? So I do think he's getting some growing pains. They recognize that they actually pulled him in the second drive for Dan Sorensen, coached him up on the sideline a little bit, put him back in. Same thing happened in the third quarter. They pulled him for a drive, put him back in for the rest of it. I do think that they're just kind of giving him what he can handle and trying to get him to play as fast as he can, use his head well in these zone schemes because he's very important. We like the positioning of him. He just needs to improve his tackling, a little bit of his zone spacing better. Yeah, he needs to get better as a tackler. And I do think as time goes on, he'll start taking some strides. I'm not too concerned about him yet. There's still a lot of talent. There's still a lot of upside there. And I think he'll start being, he'll start alleviating some of the ball production problems that the Chiefs have had to this point. One thing about the cornerback position, and honestly, the pass defense as a whole is middle of the pack right now in the National Football League. But what you saw was when the Lions needed it and the Lions needed to challenge the receiver, or the cornerbacks of the of the of the Chiefs, they had a lot of success doing it. Uh, specifically that last drive. The concern isn't necessarily, you know, a game in October. It's when you've got to have it. Do you have some guys that can help, you know, that that aren't just going to get exposed in the biggest moments? And right now the Chiefs have guys in the secondary, specifically the cornerback position, that are going to get exposed in the biggest moments. And that's what you need to try to alleviate before uh, before Christmas, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Casey Fun asks, where did they hide Dion Yelder after the first quarter? Was he stuffed in a locker? He got four snaps per the Arrowhead Pride uh, snap counts. And I think I saw, I saw him in the fourth quarter or the third quarter. I saw him one play specifically in the second half. But Blake Bell got a lot of run outside of some early snaps from Dion Yelder. And I have no clue why because... Deion Yelder, I believe, already has more receiving yards than Blake Bell this season. He did it on two plays in the first drive. 
I'm going to make this quick because I, I need Maddie to be able to uh, toot his own horn a little bit here on, on Dion Yelder. Uh, Blake Bell, I think they think, is a better blocker than Dion Yelder, and that's why he was in the game. But Dion looked great in his limited reps. I think Craig just nailed it. They like Blake Bell better as a blocker. And it's not even that Dion Yelder is a poor blocker. I think they've talked about it before. He's a solid blocker. They have ish, They have no issue using him as a blocker. I just think Blake Bell is simply seen as better by them, and it's probably true. But contrary to what it looked like at camp, it sounds like, or this preseason, Dion Yelder looks significantly better running routes. Like, just he looks more comfortable running routes, running through space. He looks like a guy that's going to be hard to match up with any linebacker, whereas Blake Bell so far, when they try to hit him on these little swing screen type plays, the tight end, he looks like a blocking tight end when he gets out there on the move. I hope they have more stuff for Yelder in the future. I think he provides an actual mismatch problem, whereas Blake Bell, to me, is just another good blocker that you put on the field. I have been extremely underwhelmed with Blake Bell as a pass catcher. Like, just, I, I he's a, if you need a yard, he'll get you a yard. If you need four yards, he'll get you a yard kind of guy. Like, that's, he does, that's yeah, him he at the doesn't right. Seem that's him to in the tight end position. He doesn't seem to have the athleticism that it looked like he had when he was playing against backups and third stringers in the preseason. It's just, it's just kind of, he looks like a blocking tight end now, which is fine. Just in this day and age in the NFL, I want a mismatch problem, not just another offensive tackle. Even like, I, there's like a catch, I think, in the flat where... His hands have not been ideal. It just, he wasn't like even in a position where he was going to be able to try to make something happen after the catch. Like, it's just, it's slow, it's clunky, it's... The belldozer looks like a bulldozer and not in a good way. Jay Zeron 29 asks, why is Kendall Fuller playing like hot garbage? <laughs> Everyone wants to blame Ward, but Fuller has easily been our worst corner. corner. Wow. Man, that's, that's a competition right there. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, Kendall Fuller, we, we've talked about it now for almost eight, nine, ten months. Kendall Fuller struggles to carry dudes vertically, and you see that. You've seen him against Kenny Galladay. You've seen him trying to run down the field with guys. He can't he just can't keep up with these guys, and he kind of gets a doors blown him blown off him a little bit. Where he's really struggling, though, I think is when Spagnuolo's trying to drop him into sort of this like Tampa 2 linebacker sort of role as a middle hook defender, he's not getting nearly enough depth. Teams have been taking advantage of this, throwing over the top of Fuller in between that space. That's kind of where you hit in your Tampa 2 when you're throwing over a slower Mike linebacker that's retreating there who's not fast enough to get that depth. Kendall Fuller's plenty fast enough to get that depth. He's just quitting. Like, he's not he's not continuing to carry vertically. He just doesn't have a good feel for guys running behind him. Matthew Stafford took full advantage of that and the spacing between Fuller and Juan Thornhill and Bashad Breland this week. Kendall Fuller just is really, really, really struggling if the Chiefs added another cornerback on top of Mo Claiborne, I might move Bashad Breland to the slot just to field the best three corners that you can try and field. Yeah, I, th- I think I still am going with Ward as struggling the most because when a team needs to make plays, you get a whole series of them specifically targeting Charvarius Ward. 
Kendall Fuller, on the other hand, he's just giving up big plays. Like he's not being targeted for whole drives and stuff like that. He's just giving up big plays just consistently throughout the game. And that's a problem. Just Ward feels like he's a target to offenses. And Craig, I think, covered most of it. Kendall Fuller struggles when he is working in any form of verticality. It's not even just in man coverage anymore. When they do run Fuller into that high hole, like last week, we saw Tyron Matthew playing it perfectly. Now, he's coming down as a safety versus back from a nickel spot, but he's getting to the right depth, and then he's attacking downhill from there. Fuller is just very heavy in his feet to get deep enough and allows balls over his head. When he's carrying a slot wide receiver vertical, he's late to stay in their hip pocket. He just doesn't have a good feel for turning to get deep. He's much more comfortable playing short and shallow and flat and hook zones like he did a lot more often in Washington. And if the Chiefs aren't going to do that for him, I'm with Craig. I'm not against adding another cornerback that either that's Breland take the slot spot or takes a slot spot from him. Mm-hmm. Woo. Vitamin J asked a question that the offense seemed out of sync the whole game. Was it mainly Pat and the receivers not being on the same page or was it the defense causing the miscues? I think we kind of already answered that question, but shout out to Vitamin J for asking it. Uh, One Lost Wizard asks, who gets cut first to make room for Mo Claiborne? Okay, I'm going with an offensive lineman. I'm anticipating it's probably an interior offensive lineman just because they probably want to keep a little bit more of that tackle depth. Uh, while Eric Fisher is gone. So I'm guessing Greg Sanat sticks, even though he's the first, the, the last one in. Okay, Maddie, Chief in West Virginia asks, what do you think about Tyron Matthew so far? I think he's been very good. I think he's kind of been slowly but surely getting better. You're He's playing a safeties role, and they do move him around a lot, so it's hard to completely avoid him. But offenses are still able to avoid a safety, no matter where you put them, except for when they're in man coverage, and even then you just throw to someone else. So it's hard for him to be noticeable every single play or quarter by quarter. But he's kind of getting to that point these last two weeks where he's making a play or two every game where you're like, okay, that was impressive. And he's been solid and to very good outside that. I think he's only going to get better as the year goes on. But I think he's been very good so far. I don't think anybody should have any issue with his play other than the ankle dive tackling. But when you're his size, what else can you do? Yeah, I think to this point, like you, you've seen his presence be felt a little bit more recently as things have picked up. So it's something to keep an eye on. Craig, Menace Red 12 asks, how different do you think this defense will look by the end of the season? I do think that Mo Claiborne is going to start. I do think still that they are going to add another cornerback before the trade deadline. So on the outside, I think it's going to look a lot different. And that's going to change the entire complexity of what offenses can do. Guys, I don't know if you know this. The Chiefs are 14th in turnovers on defense. They're ninth ninth in sacks, 14th in turnovers. They've dropped four interceptions in the past two weeks. Negative ball skills. Negative ball skills. We've talked a (laughs) lot about how these guys can't locate the ball and how you need guys that can locate the ball. Guys, if they come up with four interceptions, they're leading the league in turnovers and not only are they leading the league in turnovers 25 percent of the drives are resulting in turnovers that's wow that's ludicrous you're giving the ball back to Mahomes that many more times that's exactly what you want this defense to do go out and get some guys with ball skills and you may see all of a sudden this defense is still going to give up yards they're still going to give up rushing yards but you may see them as a more opportunistic unit that gives the ball back to the MVP that's a that's a formula for success for sure. 
Maddie Colpy O2 asks, are the deficiencies in run defense becoming uh, coming because of gap discipline being poor or is it a positional issue with the defensive line or linebackers? I know we kind of started hinting at this question and, and covered a little bit, but maybe just give a little bit more detail of an answer. The answer is yes. It is struggling because yes. The gap discipline <laughs> is a little poor. I think especially your defensive tackles, I think are getting too far down the line against zone runs. They're getting, they're essentially scraping down the line a little bit too far. They need to be playing through the back hip to the midline of the blocker that's trying to cut them off, pushing them back into the backfield while slanting towards the run. You want to force the running back if he is going to cut up the middle of the field to have to stop and either go straight laterally or backwards to make that cut to the middle of the field. It allows everybody else more time to react. Our defensive line is not getting any depth up like into the backfield and just working down the line way too far. So even when they set a hard edge, those cutback lanes are open. When runs are getting outside, Damian Wilson, Anthony Hitchens, even Darren Lee are not playing fast enough to chase plays down. And that works the same with the interior too. They're getting too far out of position. They don't have the speed or they're not showing the speed to get back there and make it up. I would say linebackers is more of a personnel issue just based on the lack of speed. D-line has been more of a gap discipline issue. When you combine both, you end up giving five a historic 5.9 yards per carry rush defense. Ugh. Peter Y. Golf asks, was this simul- this game simultaneously the worst start of Mahomes' career but with the best moment? So I don't know if it was the worst start of his career, but it's pretty close, and it might wind up being. I It might be the worst. You, you could be right. That's just the normalization of Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if it's the best moment either. I think he's, you know, some of the moments from last year, like fourth and nine, I think probably eclipse that. But this is this was a great drive uh, or a great game and a, with a great drive to end it. Uh, and if this is if this is one of Patrick Mahomes' worst performances, which it probably is, this team's going to win a lot of football games because he still did a lot of really good things in this game. He just did it differently than you're normally used to seeing. It wasn't as explosive. But he still did a lot of really good stuff. Uh, okay. J. Remy 2001 Craig asks, a balanced attack beats the Chiefs. If you had to choose one to fix, run or pass, what do you choose? Pass. 100% pass. Uh, offenses move the ball against this Chiefs team by throwing it at a bigger clip. You're giving up 7.8 yards per play through the air. If you're giving up 5.9 on the ground and the clock's running, chances are good that you're playing on a defense that is going to be playing with the lead when Patrick Mahomes is on the other side of the ball. So if you're playing with a lead, the opposition, because the NFL does not commit to the run this way, is going to be throwing the ball. If they're going to be throwing the ball and you've got the lead, you want a good pass defense. Tee off, pin your ears back, get turnovers through the air, and give the ball back to them. I'm fine if a team wants to run the clock when they're down 14 because then you just give the ball back to Mahomes. He can go down the field and score again, and there's less time on the clock. I'm fixing the pass defense. All right, we have a couple Royals questions, which I think is kind of awesome. Uh, Today, the day we're recording, is the five-year anniversary of the wild card game. Ned Yost just retired. Uh, on Sunday, if you were on the Arrowhead Pride Instagram channel, you saw Ned Yost make a prediction, which was like the coolest thing ever. And he picked seventeen thirty eight, which like, if you're a, if you're a diehard Royals fan, you know exactly what that means too. Sean Cor asks, "What's the chief equivalent of the two thousand fourteen 
wild card game where they beat the Oakland A's? I don't know that there is one. So I guess I I don't know. I how do you equate that? Is it like the most excited you've been as a Royals fan? It Guys, I'm not game, I'm not a huge a, baseball fan here at all. So it's okay. Yeah, it's okay, Craig. I've got yeah. a good answer. I want to see what Maddie says if Maddie has an answer. Okay. I, it's I think it's a hard game to relate to something that have happened for the Chiefs at this point in time. Like I almost just wanted to pick kind of this Colts game that just happened where the Chiefs were finally able to beat the Colts in the playoffs. But yeah. it's not even say, as yeah. if the Royals were continuously getting to the playoffs and then losing to the same team over and over again. So it's just it's mm-hmm. I'm not under I guess not that I'm not understanding. It's just I'm having a hard time putting like making the correlation between what I felt for that Royals game to the same kind of feelings I've had for a Chiefs game. So I've got the answer, I think. And it, I'm cheating a little bit. It's not it's not a Maddie answer entirely, but I think that the Royals 2014 World Game World Series uh, Wild Card Game equ- equivalent is actually Chiefs Patriots AFC Championship game, and let me explain why. I think you could almost combine not just the Wild Card Game in 14, but the run all the way up to the World Series to Game 7, I think it was basically the the Chiefs just had that wrapped up into one. They were on the doorstep of winning uh, uh, winning the Super Bowl. They were on the doorstep of making it and taking a step. But the Chiefs just kicked the door down on a long stretch of just you know, bad baseball or baseball without a ton of hope. And that wild card game gave a generation of Royals fans a bunch of hope. It paid them off differently than they ever have. And I know the Chiefs didn't win the AFC Championship game, but the highs and lows and the emotions you felt and, you know, the realization that, you know, things are different now, I think those all are very similar to the emotions I had after that wild card game and after that whole whole 2014 stretch. And you kind of like, I remember just the 2015 season when the Royals first started, I was just, I was kind of, you know, really hoping that, you know, they still had the energy. They still had everything that they had to, to make that run. And I think, you know, you saw pretty early in 2015, that team was going to be special. And I see it with this team too. They're, they're going to kick the door down on another, another futile streak and another, uh, you know, being out of a Super Bowl contention for 50 years. They're finally back in it for real. And they're going to do it this year. They're going to win the Super Bowl. It's going to be very Royals-esque the same way it was. Uh, does anybody, Arrowhead Scott just asks, uh, talk about Ned Yost and your experience with the 2014-15 Kansas City Royals. All, uh, all the best to Ned Yost. I have nothing but positive feelings about Ned Yost. I know he's you know, largely panned for the last few years. And like, honestly, like some of the things that he did and the decisions that he made weren't the best, uh, necessarily. Uh, but I think he helped build a championship culture. I think what happened with the 2014 and 2015 Royals was un unreal, something you didn't really expect or see coming and something that won't be duplicated for a long time. Small market teams don't win world series. And that was, as much as much West Coast baseball as I watched in my life, staying up till midnight to watch a 50 win team, the payoff was just incredible, and it was really it was a lot of fun, and I love I love watching the Royals still, and I always will. But that stretch was 
was rare. All the best. Yeah, to my part isn't as much about Ned. It's just more about the Royals in general. I kind of moved away from Kansas City about like two years prior to this run happening. So I never really got to see good, good Royals baseball. And then now I'm living out on the East Coast. I was actually having to be at work at 5 a.m. the next morning after these games and being on the East Coast. I'm up until one o'clock pretty much every night watching all these different playoff games. You get these West Coast games that are going even later. I was literally living for like what with baseball playoffs five months at a time, uh, getting four hours of sleep just so I could watch <laughs> the Royals not be terrible at baseball. Get the huge let down there in 2014 where they can't quite bring it in. Then the next year they get back to the same position. They can do it. So, I mean, it was a wild ride. It was really hard to live then because, like I said, I was getting such little sleep to get to watch them. But it was everything was worth it. It was everything about it was worth it. It was amazing. The only sad part was it did come after I moved away from Kansas City. But, I mean, it was one of the best experiences of my life getting to watch kind of those games leading up to the World Series. And coming for me, I'm not a baseball guy like at all. That team brought me back to watching baseball for the first time since 1994. I was a religious Royals watcher. Uh, My family owned a share of season tickets, used to go all the time. I watched Bo Jackson play baseball in that stadium. I watched George Brett play. Yeah, it was amazing. (laughs) That strike happened, and I just completely, like, it lost all of its luster for me. And so I hadn't watched baseball in 20 years until basically that came back in, and I was participating. I was watching that run. Everything was great. So that that was kind of a, a cool little thing as well. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. We went a little bit long. Thank you guys all for your questions. I'm sorry if we weren't able to get to all of them or the similar questions to some of the ones we answered. We will be back with a preview of the Chiefs and Colts on Sunday Night Football later this week. Catch you later.